All right. Welcome to another episode of Affordable Housing and Real Estate Investing. Today, I have Kennessy. She is a real estate investor, uh, a fix and flipper, long-term rental, short-term rental. She does everything. She's currently in San Antonio, but was originally from New Zealand. But I'm so excited to have her on because I had an amazing conversation with her before. So Kennessy, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself just to get things started. Hey, I'm super stoked that you invited me on. I love talking real estate. I just have a real estate. So I'm super, super thankful that you asked me to be on. Um, yeah, I'm, I live in San Antonio now and I am originally from New Zealand though. And as anyone who's familiar with, you know, the New Zealand market, the Asian market, the European market yeah. <laughs> knows that uh, real estate there is pretty expensive. So uh, about five years ago, I came over to the States on a one-way ticket with my now husband, and we just jumped straight into real estate. We actually were in Florida at the time and mm -hmm. got our start um, flipping houses and managing and building uh, my family's rental portfolio. And it's just been five years of being fun employed in real estate. <laughs> Kind of see that is just so ballsy, right? And I remember I told you about like how my parents immigrated from China, not knowing English and stuff like that. You guys came over here and started doing real estate. Like that seems even riskier instead of getting a job. So like what what triggered in your mind that said like this is the right move? How scared were you? Like tell us a little bit about that. Like what's going on in your head? Yeah, I can be a pretty impulsive person. I also have a, like mild OCD, you know, type one, which helps in the in the flipping industry for sure. But I also am one of those people that likes to, you know, jump out of planes and bungee jump and you know whatever. And I, I almost look at doing what we did as that. Um, I have been asked in the past, would I recommend it to people? And for the most part, I say, no, <laughs> don't do what we did. Uh, do your research first. Uh, maybe have a W-2 job that might help. Mm -hmm. But in, in, I say that only to the general population. There's definitely those people. Yep. And my, my now husband and I are one of them that mm -hmm. we figure stuff out. Like there has got to be a way. There are people who I, I, this is what I always say. If I ever get stuck mm -hmm. in a position, there are people who are not as intelligent as I am that are doing this and doing better than me at it. So somehow I've got to figure it out. Oh but my yeah, god! Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty it was pretty terrifying, but fun at the same time. I get a huge amount of exhilaration just mm -hmm. doing stuff that I've never done before and learning. And we have done a butt ton of that for sure. Okay, I love that. So you came over to the states and tell us about about your first deal, like because I, I want to hear about your first deal, and then I also want to get into afterwards, like. What skill do you wish you would have learned first or would you have done anything differently about the first deal? Tell us a little bit about that so we can get people inspired about how yeah, you guys started. Sure. So we, um, we landed in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. So it's a little mm -hmm. place in the panhandle. We landed there. Um, my family or my dad really had um, a short-term rental there and I was trying to help him manage his rental portfolio from New Zealand, which was very difficult with the the time change and everything. And so <laughs> yeah. that was part of the, the reason for coming down here and, or going down there really. So we had a short-term rental. So we landed and we landed on like a Friday and on the Saturday or something, there was a real estate meetup and we went cause we were like, well, wow. we're going in. 
Yeah. And so we, we met a couple at that real estate meetup who they were into wholesaling and we were like, okay, let's, you mm -hmm. know, let's catch up, let's grab coffee, let's have a chat, learn what you do, learn what you do mm -hmm. here. And, um, they actually got us our first deal. So we, um, they wholesaled us a deal, which was fabulous. I, I hope they made money on it. I hope they didn't just do it out <laughs> the kindness of their heart, but no, they sent it to us and they said, Hey, this would, this looks like it would be a really good first deal. Um, I had learned through watching YouTube videos and a bit of bigger pockets and a bit mm -hmm. of just, I don't want to say common sense. Cause I, I feel like now being in real estate, that you try to explain how to run the numbers on something and it doesn't seem like common sense, but I feel like, you know, it's like A plus B equals C, right? This equals a profit. So I ran the numbers and it made sense. And so we jumped in and did it and we didn't know any better. So we DIY'd the whole first wow. everything. So uh, we, I mean, we got a contractor for like mm -hmm. the electrical stuff because okay in New Zealand this is a really bizarre off the wall fact, but in New Zealand, um, all the electricity is 240 volt, not 120 like it is here. So in oh. New Zealand, you do not touch the electrical. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're getting an electrician for that. Nowadays, I would put in lights by myself if I had to, or, you know, you can do that or you can change, I can change out an ele electrical outlet myself if I had to, but at the time I didn't know any yep. better. So anyway, so, we we uh, got a really good relationship with that particular contractor. He taught us a ton. Like wow. he showed us how to backsplash, you know, do the backsplash tile, and he showed us how to install um, like LVP flooring and things. And he just ended up being a great friend that we're still friends with um, him wow. and his wife and his kids. So yeah, and so our first deal was very much a learning curve of DIY mm -hmm. networking the American system. Like yep. I had never employed a real estate agent before, um, but it. we're still friends with the real estate agent that sold our first house. Like, and did, she's a great resource now in Florida. So we just, we just kept making friends. <laughs> did you make money on your first flip? How did that go we at did. the end of the day? We made $22,000. Let's go. Oh my yeah, God. Which, your first which I didn't, deal. Yeah. I didn't think was that much, but now when I feel like sometimes I hear bigger pocket stuff and they're like, I made $2,000 on my first deal. I was like, wow, we were really, <laughs> <laughs> and I say that majorly because I think it was luck. Like I think, Obviously, we had to underwrite the deal, but I, I in yeah. no way put that down to to skill. Yep. I put that down to like, obviously, the market was in a right spot. Like, yep. we did the right things when it came yep. to it. We met the right people. I in no way contribute that exclusively to skill. <laughs> I mean, Tennessee. I to me, it sounds like a home run for a first deal because not only uh, yeah, oh, deal, I yeah, you you made a friend, and then you also found a great contractor. When you hear about how many horror stories yeah. there are with contractors right you hear about oh they walked off the job they took my money and they left they did a really crappy job like mm -hmm. how did you even find an electrician that not only did the electrical work but also taught you all this how, how, how did that happen like how did you find it was that your first contract or did you actually like get a few quotes from people no it was the second one the first okay. one came in and gave us this like crazy high quote and it was like the quote for mm -hmm. just the work that the contractor was gonna do was higher than our total budget for the whole thing. And like, obviously his portion was super. And like, I remember him leaving and I just, there was a furniture in the house. So I just sat down on the ground in the living room and was like, oh my gosh, this was the biggest mistake of my life. I don't know oh what I'm going to do. 
<laughs> and then we went out and we were like, well, we just have to we just have to find somebody else. And so through another contact at that first real estate meetup, I was like, mm-hmm. do you know any contractors that might be available? Then they sent us this one and he came around and the rest wow. is <laughs> I mean, it just shows you how important it is to find a right person for these jobs. Like how I picked the Scottsdale markers because I had a good referral system. So I said, well, I'm going to go where the people are because that's what's going to determine the success of your, of your first mm-hmm. deal for the ultimate like at the end a of the day that's it thousand percent this business is all about people and we learned that mm-hmm. really quickly on the first on the first deal because mm-hmm. everybody we worked with and i mean we heard the horror stories of dealing with contractors and then yep. we had this fantastic relationship with the contractor that we hired and like don't get me wrong that there mm-hmm. were things where Maybe something wasn't done quite right, but it became mm-hmm. a discussion. It wasn't like it didn't it didn't turn into yeah. anything massive. It was very fixable. And I think that that's the that's the the other thing that I have learned in real estate is mm-hmm. everything is fixable with more mm-hmm. money and a good attitude. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. Here's what I don't think here's what I want to make sure I pick out because you you worked with the contractor to fix things. I'm sure things didn't go 100% perfectly. And I think that's what drives a lot of fear for a lot of people. Like for me, I would never want to take on a big job because I was like, if I'm if the contractor know I'm new, they're going to run circles around me or they're going to like, oh, we need to change order on this, change order on that. And I want to make sure I, I recognize that because I know how hard that is when you're new and you have to be confident so that people don't actually take advantage of you, right? Um, yes. And I, I think the thing that we've found with that is, is doing your own research on what things cost first and foremost Mm, that is so important is you if you're getting a new roof done you should know what one square which is how they do roofing and siding one square costs Mm -hmm. in materials because then you can calculate if if the labor charge that they're charging you on top of that if you're buying materials that is is good or not good like, you know, like, and, and knowing what a toilet costs, the toilet costs a hundred dollars. And then the contractor wants to charge you labor and materials, $500. You got to know he's charging you $400 for his half an hour. Like, are we willing to pay $400 for half an hour? No. Like, so, so I mean, doing that research of like knowing like, what is my materials? Yeah. What am I, whatever. And then all the materials that goes into it. Cause you know, when you're mm-hmm. tiling and stuff, people think it's just the cost of tile. Well, it's not the mm-hmm. cost of tile. You've got thin set mortar that goes underneath it. You've got Schluter that goes next to it. You've got grout, you've got spacers, you've got to know like all of the things. And I think that's really the biggest thing in real estate is not necessarily cost of materials, but is knowing what you're getting yourself into knowing everything you can about a subject. You can't just jump in and think it's, you know, you got to do your research. Sorry. You can't get a lump sum quote, right? If you get a lump sum, then you have no idea what's going on in there and you have no idea how to compare quotes to another quote, right? Absolutely. I completely agree with you on that. And I think you can go back to contractors like we have before and been like, like drywall guys. And you're like, well, okay, but the materials cost, like, what are you getting the materials at? Because this seems really high. Mm-hmm. And more mm-hmm. often than not, if you can show, even if you're new, even if it's the first time mm-hmm. you've ever done drywall, if you can yep. show another person that you have done your homework, you've done your mm-hmm. research, 
and that you want to work with them. Like, Hey, I do. I really want to give you this job, but like, I'm just not understanding how this adds up to this when we've got blah, blah, blah. Like a lot of people will be like, Oh, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me just <laughs> bring that price down here a little bit. <laughs> what, what a nugget for all the new guys are that are out there investing. It's like, do your research and then present that you actually have done your research so that people actually don't take advantage yeah. of you. No, because oh I don't smart. think you have to go in there. I certainly don't uh, mm -hmm. go in there. Like I'm going to call it like a big doggy net. Like I'm a big <laughs> shot investor and like, I know what I'm talking about and you can't, you can't mess with me. Like I don't do that. I go in there and I'm like, I don't know how to put up drywall. I, I do, but let's pretend I don't. I don't know how to put up drywall. This is where you can help me. However, I do know a little bit of what I'm talking about and I want to work with you. Like this is a partnership. We are equal. We're on the same level. I'm not up here. Mm -hmm. You're not down here. And it's not vice versa either. You and I are on the same page. And uh, that sort of attitude has worked really well over the last five years is all I'll say. And they don't teach that in school. They don't teach like how to manage people in school. Oh my God. That's yes. such, they don't teach such a gem. <laughs> So, Kennedy, you talked a little yep. about people manager. You talked about underwriting, talked about analyzing, running numbers. If there was like one skill you would advise people to start working on right now, like what do you think that would be? Like thinking back, thinking back about like your journey, like what's the first thing you should have learned in the first place, you think? I always want to say analyzing the numbers mm -hmm. because I'm a numbers person. And I think that is massively important, but I'm going to change my answer on this particular occasion mm -hmm. because... Uh, I genuinely believe it's going to be people skills. And because mm -hmm. that relates directly to how well you can scale, how mm -hmm. well you can. And, and it's not just scale in terms of like how many contractors do you end up going through before you find the yeah. right one? Like obviously that's yep. really important, but it's something that is becoming a like a bugbear in our own business is our, getting more private investors and that requires mm. a certain level of person to person skills that is really important in this business. It's really important in real estate in general. You can know how to run the numbers in your sleep. And if you mm -hmm. can't deal with other people, <laughs> this is I mean, I, I, I love that because I think the common saying is people do business with, with people that they know they like and they trust. Right. And in this situation, you present yourself as respectable, but you were so likable. Like, I'm sure like your contractors want you if they didn't like you, there's no way they would have shown you how to put up drywall, backslash, like LVP. There's no way. Right. There's no, no. way. So that Agreed. is a testament to how well you did it and how well you involved them in the problem. And I think that's so important. And sometimes like you, you can't work on this until you just go out and put it there and you actually ask for feedback. Like, hey, how was the experience working with me? Like. What could mm -hmm. I have done better? And for me, I look for people when I work with them. Just are they consistent? And are, are they actually a good, kind person, right? I think that's so important. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's such a good mm -hmm. skill. Like way better than yeah. saying like, you just got to cop a deal. Absolutely. Yeah, no, no, exactly. I mean, I mean, please learn how to run comps and please learn how to analyze <laughs> deals and stuff as well as, as at least right. second, right up there close. Yeah. Up people. I think like you... Uh, nowadays I, I wouldn't do business with anyone that I wouldn't want to go grab coffee with kind of thing. Oh, that's such a good way of saying it. Like mm. if you don't want to get lunch with them, like why, why are you doing business with them? Right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I, I, uh, I think in real estate, you have the choice. 
right? Mm-hmm. You get to choose who you work with. There are so many contractors, so many lenders, mm-hmm. so many people to partner with. <laughs> mm-hmm. You have a That's choice. awesome. I love it. I guess one, maybe one more question on a contractor thing. Like if you had to give advice on how to vet contractors, what would you give? Like, what would that advice be? Is it looking for a track record? Is it looking for, is it actually going to the existing jobs and look at the job site? What would you recommend like a newbie would try doing? If they let you look at their job site, mm. yep, that would be awesome. But I, the contractors who we currently work with now, they're mm. the sort of guys when we first, like we often hire people for a little job first. Like you hire ah. them for something small, see how they go. Mm. And for example, the guy, our general contractor now who has mm-hmm. all of our business across our flips, if he Got can it. handle it, if he can't, we'll, you know, here and there, but he gets first pick on if he wants a job or not. He came and did a little bit of drywalling work in our personal mm-hmm. house. Um, and he got there and he he sent a sub, but he came first to set the sub up and like mm. um, whatever. We had a bit of a chat and stuff. And he was just like straight off the bat, like, let, let me show you this like shower I did and like had stuff on his phone. And was like, yeah, like really <laughs> proud of his okay. own work and of the work Love that it. his guys were doing and stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's really cool. That is really good work. Like, it's really cool. So. And then they did a really good job and they, they did things that they did the little things like they cleaned up after themselves. Mm. They put, um, they put, I'm forgetting the name of it now, but like the plastic wrap over the furniture that was in the property and stuff. And they did that without me having to ask them initially, which I I was just like, like, (laughs) that's amazing because most contractors don't care about other stuff. So if they show that they can care on a little job, they're sure they're going to care on the big jobs as well. And that is for the most part, how, how we've done it. But vetting a contractor is as easy as having a conversation with them. If they Mm -hmm. don't seem like they're a respectable person off straight off the bat, they're probably not like, I don't know. I'm, I'm very big on first impressions, but I mean, quotes is important. Again, knowing what yeah. materials cost is important. Mm-hmm. So um, well, would you, well, I love that you picked your up. Own house? <laughs> I love that though. But I think what I was going to pick out is like, you recognize the standards of the contractor, right? You're like, if they, if they have high standards for a low job, then they're going to have to continue to persist that high standard throughout the bigger jobs. So yeah. I love that. That's amazing. And so let's kind of, move forward a little bit. You talked about you have a contractor who has all your flips now. So what are you working on nowadays? Like how many projects do you have kind of going on? And like, are you going crazy? Like how are you managing all these projects going on right now? Yes. Well, we're not going crazy. We just got out of a couple of bigger, bigger Good. projects that mm-hmm. sucked the life out of me. Can I say that? No, I can say that it's real estate. We all know that's accurate. Um, so we've got one uh, that I would call like a medium sized job mm-hmm. on at the moment. And uh, it's going to keep us relatively busy through the end of the year. But we're actually right after this podcast, I'm having lunch with some people to look at doing a joint venture on a much larger project that's sort oh. of a three and a half thousand square foot house, which is bigger. And it is more into the luxury market. It's got an ARV of about 600,000, which is a risk in our current market. Mm -hmm. However, I think the comps are solid. And so what we said is like, maybe if we spread it over, Mm -hmm. there's going to be four of us. So if we spread the risk over four of us, it's not going to be as much profit for everybody, but we Mm -hmm. might get to do a cool, cool project, you know? So we'll see, see if that works out. But, um, 
Yeah, we're going to keep it pretty slow for the end of the year, finish that out and have um, some family come around and then really oh, kick yeah. into it again next year. No, that's good that you, you can balance your life a little bit, right? It's not just all about making money. You're actually making some time for family. That's beautiful. I, th I think it's important because, again, if you have the, the, the choice to do it, you should. And it is really important to build your business. And it is really important to mm -hmm. not let off the gas and keep building and building. But I think you can do that while still recognizing that. I, I mean, our market's changing at the moment. Mm -hmm. And... I'm not the person that says like, let's just stop everything. Yeah. Panic stations. Like I'm not that person. Like we're all, awesome. we're always going to need houses. People are always going to need a roof over their head. It mm -hmm. might cost different and yep. labor might cost different and inflation's gone up. So materials cost more. So you have to balance all that stuff out and you have to keep, but you have to keep your business moving. But that doesn't mean that I'm also rushing out into 10 flips bad deals month. yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. I, I i am very conservative when i underwrite in a good market so i'm even more conservative in a in a changing market i'm not gonna say it's changing well that's because i mean if you were conservative then you wouldn't have continued doing it for five years right you and i talked about briefly like how a lot of people just go in there for a first year they might have a bad deal and they exit because, you know, they might not have learned the skills, the people skills that we talked about, analyzing running numbers. And mm -hmm. I think that's so important for you to get educated first before you actually get started in real estate. Like, don't don't really just jump all the way. And like, you should ask some people at the very minimum. Like, don't, don't go in blind. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree with that completely. And I also think that it's the, the market the last couple of years has saved some people's butts. Like the fact mm. that you could buy a house, you know, one month and then three months later when it was renovated, the ARV had gone up $40,000 or whatever, something silly. And then someone paid cash and it was 50000 over asking. Well, you know, like there was a lot of that yeah. in this market. And I think that that probably saved people's butts because they bought a deal that maybe it didn't look like it was really going to make money or they mm -hmm. overspent on their budget. And then the appreciating market just saved them. Saved them. So I, know. I, I think that if you like what happened with us in that market is we made the profit margin that I expected us mm -hmm. to make. And then anything that the house appreciated on top of that was extra, which was really nice, but it, yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't necessary. It didn't, save our butt. So I, I, I'm hoping that that level of conservative mm -hmm. and like knowing how to run your numbers is going to mean that we can continue to do what we do even through a transitioning market. And that's awesome. And I think that's what's going to make that you stand out in this changing environment. It's like you showed people that you've been underwriting consistently at a conservative basis. So that's going to make people actually be more confident when investing with you in the future. And we talked about raising private capital. Like people are going to want to see that you've been consistently doing it at a conservative basis so that they know their money is safe. And I think that is, that's going to be so good for you to kind of demonstrate your track record going forward. Oh my God. I'm, I'm so pumped for you because of how you've been doing it. You're going to keep yes, it. I am yeah. a terrible self salesman though. I, that is <laughs> the one thing I will, I will freely admit. And it's a work on it's It's a work mm -hmm. on for me of actually being able to communicate to other people that, uh, you know, what we do is, you know, worth investing in, not, not mm -hmm. worth investing in from the real estate perspective, but that I'm worth investing in because Absolutely. I'm going to look after your money. Yeah. <laughs>
more more so than other people, right. maybe. <laughs> and you're gonna look after their money as if it was your own money, or even more important than your own money, more, right? And yeah, more. And important. people need to know that. And I, and I know how that feels. Like when you take someone's money, it's a whole different level of stress, whole different level of burden, right? Oh, yeah. I completely understand that. You're dealing with um, people's kids' college funds. There has to be a mm-hmm. level of respect <laughs> with it when it comes to that. Absolutely. Um, so at this point, I want to move into our affordable housing conversation. It, we, yes. You and I talked a lot about affordable housing and mm-hmm. why it's so important. And you mentioned what caught my attention was that you mentioned your dad and your family has invested in affordable housing. So just tell us a little bit more about like what his experience was and any sort of problems that they face. Because I want to make sure that we're not just painting a rosy picture with real estate investment. We need to give people the reality of what can and can go wrong. So tell us a little yeah. bit about your your family's experience with affordable housing. Yeah, sure. So we have had uh, in the past a couple of houses that were um, they were in good, relatively mm-hmm. good neighborhoods, um, mm-hmm. but they were under the affordable housing or Section Eight um, mm-hmm. rental scheme, I suppose, mm-hmm. and. It didn't go super well for us. However, I think that that has more to do with, you know, the system in general. Um, the the story that we talked about before that I'll share mm-hmm. is that um, a woman was renting the house with her children. Mm-hmm. And she got a, a boyfriend and her mm-hmm. boyfriend also qualified for the Section 8 housing. However, so he moved in and he was helping support their family as well. So now they're dual income. However, her affordable housing credit, mm-hmm. one of the requirements was that she would, was not living with anybody else. I guess maybe mm. she was sole head of the household or something like that. Even though, So even though he qualified, the affordable housing was going to cut off their um, – cut off their money, which would never depend. They couldn't afford to pay the rent. So then you're forced with a situation of, you know, yes, I need to pay the mortgage on this property, but so do I evict this person? You know, it Mm -hmm. it becomes a little bit difficult um, of a situation for a landlord to deal with. And that it wasn't really, I mean. And she was a good tenant, right? Yeah, she was a good good tenant. Yeah, good tenant. That's, And I think that's what I need to highlight for people. Yeah, as as a good tenant, uh, however, you know, it's one of those things of like, yes, there was a requirement on there mm-hmm. that said she wasn't allowed to be living with anybody and she moved the boyfriend in anyway, but I mean, technically he qualified as well. He was earning under the threshold. So why the system couldn't, you know, see that I, I'm not sure, but over so anyway, a technicality, you know what I'm saying? You had to kick her out over a technicality cause she couldn't pay rent. Yeah, like, oh, she was good. Like that's so hard. Oh. Yeah. And I mean, we oh, like, with all of our tenants, we do our very best to treat them with mm-hmm. utmost respect, give them the most yep. amount of time absolutely mm-hmm. possible over and above what is required of us as landlords to yep. provide them. Um, because at the end of the day, these are people. This is housing you're dealing with. Like, mm-hmm. this, is, this is their safe place. You have to make sure right. they have somewhere else to go. And like, um, you know everybody has bad tenants and stuff, but if a tenant is good to you and you're good to them, it's just going to be, you know, a, a good deal. So they, they moved on and they found another spot and she, okay, I think she got her section eight housing um, credit back possibly because her and the boyfriend decided to live. Okay. I'm not really sure how that whole thing went, but that can, that can definitely happen. And it did sort of put, I mean, like we don't, we don't have any section eight housing in our portfolio as of now. Right now. 
No. Right. And that's because you had a bad experience. And I think that's why it's so important to give for the public and a private to work together to really hammer out these issues. Like, I'm so glad you came onto the show and talked about this because if you don't surface these problems, people don't, don't become aware of like why certain things are so broken. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned you had a good tenant with a good family. They, they didn't bring any drugs or, or gangs into the house, which is what the common myth is. She was just a good person. And for some reason, it just fell out of the affordable housing criteria. And that caused yeah. her to yeah. be basically like, hey, you have to move because you can't pay the rent. And that's that's so unfortunate. Yeah. yeah, very unfortunate. And I think, I mean, like, yes, I think Section 8 does get a bad rap for mm-hmm. those particular reasons. Um, and I have absolutely no doubt that there are some landlords out there that could tell some horror stories. Mm-hmm. However, the people in my experience that I have met, because we flipped a house that was mm-hmm. we were going to turn into um, Section 8, and we decided we were mm-hmm. moving out of Florida, so we sold it. Yep. Um, Got it. We sold this house for $105,000, so it was an affordable like it Got was it. an affordable yeah. house, which was yeah. fabulous. However, we had people coming up and knocking on the door and asking, is this going to be available for Section 8 housing rental in the future? Wow. And this was like the one that I remember most vividly was it was like somebody's grandma, like oh someone's grandma, like came up, knocked on the door and was like, is this going to be available for rent? And at the time we told her like, yeah, it will be once it's renovated. Mm-hmm. And she was like, are you going to accept section eight? And I was like, well, yeah, yep. And the, you know, this is the neighborhood. Yeah. And she was like, oh, great. Yeah. You know, I'm really looking for a place to live and this looks mm-hmm. like you're renovating it really nicely, et cetera, et cetera. And mm-hmm. currently in my own personal home, I live next to a section eight housing and the neighbors are great. great they're people. a young, they're a yeah. young couple. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I wish the landlord would keep up some of the stuff on the house better, but that's, you know, the tenant isn't, isn't, that's not their job to yeah. do. That's the and, I mean, that's, and I, there's the no crazy... drugs in that house as far as I'm aware. There's, yeah. no, there's no crazy going on, like coming and going at weird hours. Like I would notice that stuff and it's, it's not. So I think that my very limited, mm-hmm. and it is mm-hmm. very limited yep. um, view of it is that I have not seen the myths that people talk about. Got it. And I think two things I want to highlight. You mentioned like a grandma just coming up to you, like, that speaks to how big of a demand there is for housing like this. That's like a good product, meaning a good house. That's not mm-hmm. a trashy location. And like it's, and there are so many good people in here that actually will respect your home. They're not going to absolutely trash it. And we talk about short-term rentals. Anyone can come into our short-term rental and trash their home. It, the risk is almost the same thing, even with Section 8 or short-term rental. If you don't do the right screening, chances are yeah. you're going to run into trouble. Um, so you talked about demand, yeah. like, are you thinking about doing it in San, San Antonio? Like what's going on in that market? Have you looked into that market for affordable housing? Well, I haven't until you asked me to come on the podcast. And then oh. I am a sort of person that likes to do my research. So I did my mm-hmm. research and I have to say it was a bit depressing. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, no. So um, San Antonio is actually considered the poorest major city in America. I believe it's the seventh largest city in America. And it's considered the poorest and I was like, huh, I didn't realize that. I know. No, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I see it. I drive around it. And I, you definitely yeah. see that there are um, some more low-income areas than maybe mm-hmm. when you drive around yep. Austin. 
as a okay. comparison. However, I didn't realize it was on that spectrum. Um, and then I, some other statistics that I came across in my quick research was that apparently one in every 15 families in San Antonio is on the wait list for uh, Section 8 housing which seemed really high. I did try and double check it. And that's what I came across on what is called Opportunity Home, which is the San Antonio yeah. Housing Authority. Uh, that seemed really high. Comparative to the mm -hmm. amount of families that are currently being served for Section 8 is only 14,000. Just a little over 14,000. 14,000 only? In the seventh largest city in America. Do you know what the population is for San Antonio? Million oh, plus, I, I'm you know, oh I, I could look at, you know what, I'm going to do that thing you're not supposed to do in podcasts and I'm going oh, to. Oh, that's fine. Because largest, and you said one in 15 families like would qualify for affordable housing. That is an incredible number. It's, it's sad, yeah, almost, but it's incredible. Almost 1.5 million. 1.5 million. Only 14,000 people have to vouch. Yeah. No, that no. is it really crazy. Low to me. And I don't know what it's supposed to be. Like, I, I didn't mm -hmm. do any comparisons to other cities, yeah. but that did yeah. seem low. Um, but there are some people doing some stuff about it. There's a Dallas-based uh, company mm -hmm. called High Opportunity Neighborhood Okay, Partners. okay, got it. Uh, and they, since mid-2021, I suppose, mm -hmm. they have bought 30 homes in Bear County. So it's not, like, a massive amount. But they buy them in... Mm -hmm. um, what I'm going to call like mid-level, like BC-ish yeah. neighborhoods yeah. Okay. because they are very passionate about just by my quick, um, quick look mm -hmm. at their website. They're very passionate about kids specifically growing up in neighborhoods and zip codes that mm -hmm. allow them to bridge the income gap. So even though they yeah. are lower income, they're going mm -hmm. to be growing up around going to schools with yep. kids that are maybe of medium or higher income. Mm -hmm. And they had some really good research about why and how that is so important to kids development so i thought that was really interesting and um in 2018 actually in san antonio they did just uh they did just put in legislation that allows the um the amount that section 8 will pay mm -hmm. to be based on your zip code now Got instead it. of just however many families and stuff. So I'm not sure if that differs to other markets. However, I, I thought that was a pretty good initiative because it does mean that someone could live in a nicer, mm -hmm. comparatively nicer neighborhood yep. uh, and maybe get like a $1,400 credit because the rent in that area is mm -hmm. higher. And I think that's refreshing. At least to see some barriers being broken down and giving some landlords like, hey, I could turn this to Section 8 versus... If I did this, it'd be unsustainable and I would lose money, right? Correct, which I thought was really interesting because I think that the other thing that has definitely, I know, put put me personally off looking mm -hmm. at it is because when I, I am guilty of these biases mm -hmm. myself, but when mm -hmm. I think of Section 8 housing, I think of the really below lower income, yeah. below yeah. market rent, or or, you know, those houses that are just, just falling into the ground, like mm -hmm. they're Right. And that is not the sort of property that usually appreciates for a landlord. And that's the sort mm -hmm. of property that's going to have much higher maintenance and much mm -hmm. higher capex that needs to be put aside. However, if you had this opportunity to buy in sort of mm -hmm. B-class neighborhoods and mm -hmm. have it be a newer build, have it be, you know, a 2015 build for a bedroom house mm -hmm. that you could then rent out to Section 8 housing, 
then you're already, even if you are having to put more away in your numbers for, um, let's say like repairs every year, if you were worried about people trashing the house, like you're putting more Mm -hmm. away for repairs, you're putting less away for CapEx because the roof on that thing was put Mm -hmm. on in 2015. So you're not going to have to replace it for more, mm-hmm. you know, like it's, it, it, it's give and takes and you're going to have a, a house that appreciates and you may have to go in there and paint the walls and replace the carpet and whatever, at whatever time you're going to sell that. Yeah. But you have to do that in any rental, whether it's Absolutely. a short-term rental or long-term <laughs> rental. You're already planning to do that if you're going to sell. Absolutely. Right. And I'm trying to paint, I have to paint my <laughs> short-term rental, like at least every two years, just to kind of keep it fresh and, and yeah. in good condition. And I think what I'm hearing is like, there's so much demand in San Antonio. Have you looked up the rents, like what they would probably go for, for a four bedroom or five bedroom property? It, no problem. It is very dependent in San Antonio on zip code. And that's zip why it's got hard. It. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. very zip code based here. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's kind of difficult to do a blanket statement across the whole. We have uh, most of our rentals though are between. 1400 and 1850 give or take but there are obviously ones that are much higher and bigger homes we kind of stick to your three twos 1500 and i think for our listeners we'll probably post like the website where you can try to find these rents or stuff like that so it's publicly available information you can google it you can go to your local housing department to actually get it for your own respective areas Mm -hmm. and i think there's just so much demand here right so we're sharing about san antonio because We just heard it. One in 15 would qualify for a voucher, but there's only 14,000 vouchers in a city of one over a million people. So, yeah, it was really interesting because I on on the on the, you know, San Antonio Housing Authority, which they did just do a name change to Opportunity Mm -hmm. Home on their Mm -hmm. website. They were um, talking about how the it appears that the majority of the people that they help with housing are actually in the housing that they own themselves and what I'm going to call publicly owned housing, not in privately owned housing, which I thought was very interesting because that definitely tells me that there is a massive market. However, it's really hard to tell real estate investors to tell myself Mm -hmm. that, you know, that your property should be used for section eight housing when I could rent it Mm -hmm. out an Airbnb for, whatever there has to be a different why beyond money obviously money is important and getting money directly Mm -hmm. from the government that is going to be Mm -hmm. paid every Mm -hmm. single month is obviously fabulous but there has to be sort of some sort of different reason because as i said in my personal home i live Mm -hmm. right next to section 8 housing Mm -hmm. on one side Mm -hmm. of me Mm -hmm. right across the road from me was a house that was section 8 housing and Mm -hmm. a real estate investor turned it into an airbnb Got it. So I live in a very much, very quickly gentrifying neighborhood. Got it. Um, quite close to downtown in San Antonio. And yeah. it's very interesting because, it, you know, you could say to that guy, like, yeah, well, mm-hmm. you could put, obviously there's a demand in this area for Section yep. 8 housing, but he's you rented out. You can make more money elsewhere. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and I so think it's that's a, a tough choice. And I think that's why we decided to do this podcast, right? Where... It doesn't work if you tell everyone, hey, only invest in affordable housing because you're not making it sustainable for some people, right? And I think that's why our portfolio strategy is we need to have short-term rentals and we have long-term rentals that are affordable housing so that you actually get to diversify your portfolio. It's like you get, hey, what if the recession comes and people stop traveling or God forbid there's another COVID that happens and everyone stops traveling, right? You need to have something in your portfolio where the rent is being paid by the government 
on on a monthly basis on time, regardless of what the economic conditions are. And I think that's my message, like, and talking to you, and that actually resonate with you a little bit because this is the way it's sustainable. This is the way it can actually attract other investors into your capital pool for mm-hmm. more investing. So I, I'm curious, like, hear your thoughts about it, and like whether or not you think Section Eight is better as like a diversification strategy, as an example. I think it could be, and I also think it comes down to like real estate with a heart. You know, yes. <laughs> there's a so there is a lot of real estate investors out there who have mm-hmm. made a ton of money. And I believe mm-hmm. what I end up seeing with these people and, you know, you could look at it at this Dallas um, high opportunity um, mm-hmm. partners that's investing here now in San Antonio. They made money in real estate and now they're deciding to give back to their communities yes. and give back to Texas and buy yes. Section 8 housing and provide it at a rate that works for them. And if you mm-hmm. start researching now, like maybe it's not, yeah. I, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and say, Oh yeah, I'm going to rush out tomorrow and buy a house yeah. to rent it out for yeah. section eight houses. However, it's provoked the thought, right? If mm-hmm. I could start now building a portfolio, then once I get bigger, I'm not going to have to turn yeah. around and be like, wow, all these years I could have been building up section eight housing. Yeah. I'm actually thinking about it now. I'm thinking about it in what I'm going to call my young Aww. investing years yeah. because you sort of are like, well, what is it going to look like in the future? What is the future of this city going to look like? Mm-hmm. If I, you know, if you plan to make any particular spot in the country, your home mm-hmm. of investing, I know a lot of people mm-hmm. invest out of yep. state and especially mm-hmm. if they live on the West coast, but if mm-hmm. that's your home for investing, you theoretically want to make it better. I mean, I, I'm a person who flips houses, which I basically Mm -hmm. view as a form of recycling. I'm taking a house that someone wouldn't live in, couldn't live in Mm -hmm. whatever. And I'm turning it into a place where people, yeah. And you can do the same thing with section eight. I think, um, this is again, I will say it from someone who's not doing it currently, but Mm -hmm. who thinks that it could be a really good idea to diversify a portfolio. Yeah, and you're turning these homes into beautiful homes. And you talked about like reducing your CapEx earlier, right? This is also going to reduce vacancy expenses, right? Remember how much demand there is and how low supply there is? Mm-hmm. People, if they're moving into a good home with low crime and good schools, they're going to stay in your home for a really, really long time. They're going right? to stay. They're going yeah. to stay. <laughs> so for yeah. all these people that are making like $200 cash for a month, and for all of a sudden, like, let's say, you know, they're renting out for two thousand just to use round numbers. They move out mm-hmm. for one month. You lose you lose ten months of cash flow. So yeah, the best way to reduce that vacancy expense is actually to do affordable housing because you know you're getting a great quality tenant if you have a good product and you do your screening correctly. But mm-hmm. they're going to keep you your vacancy expenses down for a long time and actually make it sustainable. And I, I think that's something that people need to take account for. I think, yeah, I think you're right there. Um, I think there are some things that need to be also like taken into consideration as well. Cause I, mm-hmm. a lot of the low cost housing in San Antonio appears to be multifamily based, which I mm-hmm. think is, it, it, that's a common theme, right? Because that's how yeah. you scale. Like you, you put a mm-hmm. hundred right. apartments on one little spot. And it's funny cause just down the road from, from my house, from my neighborhood, mm-hmm. um, they were planning on doing that they're planning on building i actually believe it was 280 mm-hmm. 280 apartments wow. on a it's not a small lot but a small ish lot uh and there was a you know community meeting about it and mm-hmm. i will say that i was against it and my reasoning mm-hmm. for being against it is twofold 
first and foremost, the amount of single family homes in this neighborhood that need Mm -hmm. to be renovated and fixed Mm -hmm. up is astronomical. It's astronomical. And if you took the amount of money that they were going to spend in this like new Mm -hmm. build, and I understand it's a totally different portfolio base. I do. But if you took the amount of money that they were going to spend to build this and actually renovated these single family homes and turned them Mm -hmm. into section Mm -hmm. eight housing, I I feel like you could do as much good whilst Mm -hmm. actually bringing the whole community up. Up. Got it. As a whole. That's interesting. Yeah, and, and you 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 would be raising the community up as opposed to I hate to say it, but if you plonk two hundred and eighty yeah. small apartments, they're not luxury yeah. apartments. Yeah. Um, in that sense, you're going to almost be solidifying the whole area as this is mm-hmm. just Section for that forever, and, that's not, and it's going to turn yeah. into a poverty pit, as you just called yeah. it before. But, but the second reason why I was mm-hmm. against it was because there is no infrastructure for that many people in this area. The closest yes. supermarket here is, I believe it's five miles away. No family That's is far. walking five yeah. miles with their That's groceries. So I asked the guy, I was like, did you know, did you think we're in a food desert? I believe they call that a food desert. And he was like, well, you know, there's a bus station at the end of the road. And I was like, sir, have you ever tried to carry a family's worth of groceries Seriously. on a bus? I was like, I can't even do our family's groceries in one trip out of my car to the front right. door. How, how do you want me to carry Like, how do you Seriously. want me to carry it on the bus? And I don't mean to say, like, I, not that mm-hmm. they didn't think about that, of course, but there's also no sidewalks where they wanted to put this. Wow. And I'm like, okay, so you're going to have people who presumably some mm-hmm. of them will have cars, some of them won't. So they're going to be walking everywhere. They're not walking on mm-hmm. sidewalks that becomes now yeah. a hazard with the cars wow. that are coming down here. There yeah. is the the road. Some of them don't even have markings down the middle of it. And I'm like, so it, even if every single person in that place had a car, there's no infrastructure for the amount yeah. of traffic that's going to be on these roads now. Yes. And I was like, there's something to the fact that if, there is already because that was in a like mm-hmm. kind of half half commercial yeah. half residential area of our neighborhood but i'm like mm-hmm. if you put section 8 housing in single family homes that already has all of the infrastructure around yeah. it in residential neighborhoods mm-hmm. you've already got that you don't have to build it you don't have to wait for the city to build it right. <laughs> you're already theoretically halfway there so I, I do think that there's um, a point to it. But I, again, there's it's the same argument of why do people yeah. invest in multifamily rentals versus mm-hmm. buying right. 300 single family doors. Yeah. There's a reason to it. It's because of scalability and management. It's absolutely. easier to manage if it's like you that. You can keep so, resources in the same building. Absolutely. Exactly. I get it. And but I don't, I, I don't pretend for a second to, <laughs> to discard all of that out the window. Yep. But it's something to think about. And it's something to balance out. And I don't just think that it should mm-hmm. be um, that the idea of turning privately owned single family rentals into Section 8 should just... You know, I think it's it's very plausible. And, and the crazy part is like, I, I love that you came on, you provide a perspective, right? Because it's so important for us to hear everyone's point of views. And for me, it's like, if you have one whole building that's only section eight, I don't think you're setting them up to be successful either. Like they need infrastructure, they need services. Like, for example, my parents didn't know any English when, when they came from China, right? It's kind of mm-hmm. like, how do you help them translate even just reading the mail? 
And these are the things that people forget about unless you actually grew up in, in that life and you actually understand like, what else do you need to be successful? Yep. Public transportation. We can't take the bus to go buy groceries. Like I lived in Chinatown in Boston and my parents were able to walk to the grocery store, but that was because it was like a 10 minute walk. It wasn't like five miles. That's not sustainable. And I think your, your idea of like turning single families into section eight rentals, I think it's absolutely awesome. And I think with so much demand there, it's kind of like you can't just do apartments. You can't just do single families either. You kind of almost have to do both to kind of catch up to the demand because, and I think this is why we started the show. It's so that we can get small time average Joe Schmoes in the world to actually think about investing and actually contribute yeah. to it. Because if building apartment buildings was going to solve it, like our wait list in San Diego, went, like I, it was seven years when I was in affordable housing. It's now 12 to 15 seven years. years. Oh my goodness. Seven years when I was in it. And then for the building I lived in, they actually stopped taking applications for five years because they're like, there's no point to take applications anymore. Right. But wow. now it's like 12 to 15 years. And it's like, how do you solve this problem unless you also get the public and private partnership? And I think what we've seen is like the wage gap has grown. You know, the common saying is that the rich gets richer. Mm-hmm. You have to give these kids an equal opportunity because I know what it has done for me and my friends that grew up in affordable housing. And I think. Anything that we can do to provide these kids so that they have an equal opportunity to make this world a better place for our kids growing up in the future. I think that's just so important. And that's why I'm so jazzed up. And I'm so glad you came on the show to talk about your perspective, too. Like, oh, I'm, 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 I'm so glad pumped. you invited me. Yeah, no, I think <laughs> it's really good. I think real estate investing, as I said earlier, is it's all about choice. You get a lot mm-hmm. of choices. You get to decide what you're going to invest in. You get to yes. decide how much you're going to invest. Mm-hmm. You get to decide everything to do with yes. it. Be, it and simply because nobody's forcing you to do this it's completely a choice and so there may be some people who are like look it's not for me i don't i don't want to do it and it's, it's totally fine however yeah. if there's some people even if your podcast or you know hearing a little bit of statistics causes even one or two people to sort of think maybe i could do it or maybe that's mm-hmm. a good idea or maybe i'll do a little mm-hmm. bit more research about what that might mean for me then yeah i think it's, I think it's worth it I absolutely, I think it's worth it, and I and I and I, and I know how precious your time is, Kennedy. So I'm I'm so happy you came on the show. Thank you so much for coming on and providing your perspective. Like I'm so happy, and I really enjoyed our conversation. This was fun. I, I actually yes, really I it. I agree. <laughs> I, love, I love I love chatting all things real estate, and I think this was really cool. <laughs> um, so Kennedy, where can people find you? Where can they learn a little bit more about you? Yes, I uh, Instagram's probably the okay. the easiest place to find me. Um, so I am Kennessy Hartley on Instagram. If you, it's not many people called Kennessy. So if you plug that at the top, you're going <laughs> to find me. <laughs> I'm going to show You do up. have a cool name. I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's definitely unique, but yes, come find me there. If you have questions, let me know if you want to invest with us, let me know. Yes. And, awesome. um, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. I love what you're doing. I love the way your brain works on this. And I also love, I know we didn't get to talk about it today, but I also love what you're doing in the short term. Um, rental oh, space is very inspiring and I am going to take some inspiration from it for my own love portfolio. It. Yes. I appreciate that. And I hope we do business together eventually soon. I think yes. you and I absolutely click and I think this is going to be fun. I think this is just the beginning of our relationship. It's going to be awesome. Yes. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kennedy. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Bye.